We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Uh, today on the show, we have Megan O'Connor. She was a co-founder of the startup studio, Human Ventures, an incubator started by advertising guru Joe Marchese uh, when she realized that she wanted to jump into the incubation game herself or the startup game herself should I say she assembled the team and through human ventures where they launched it within their incubator um, she launched Clark a platform for tutors to manage billing and client matters an operational assistant if you will enter Sam Gimbel our other guest today chief product officer at Clark together Megan and Sam are striving to bring efficiency to the tutoring world. Their platform takes a 10% fee, but promises 25% higher efficiency. We look forward to hearing their story and learning about the Clark product. But first, why are we here? We are here because of Venture for America, VFA. It's a fellowship program which attracts enterprising recent college graduates who launch their careers as entrepreneurs and thus help to revitalize America's cities. Think. Detroit, New Orleans, Cleveland, Philadelphia, and more. After five weeks of training, VFA fellows spend two years in the trenches of a startup in an emerging U.S. city where they learn how to contribute to a high-growth business. Afterwards, VFA provides the mentorship, network, and resources fellows need to become entrepreneurs. To learn more about Venture for America, to support our work, or possibly even to apply for the fellowship, visit VentureForAmerica.org. Meanwhile, I've done this in reverse. Who is speaking to you? I am Jeremy Scheinwald. I'm the founder of Mission Driven Group and a longtime board member and passionate volunteer podcaster with Venture for America. I started the Smart People Should Build Things podcast almost two years ago because VFA had so many amazing entrepreneurs in its midst and each had their own unique stories to tell about their path to entrepreneurship. And I knew that many other entrepreneurs could learn and benefit from their stories, as have I. I've learned a ton. So I hope uh, you'll enjoy today's show, learn something, um, and pass it on. Follow us on, follow me on Twitter, at Jeremy Scheinwald. Um, like the show on iTunes, and it'll help us to spread our audience and um, create more great content for you. So without further ado, here is our interview with Megan O'Connor and Sam Gimbel. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Um, Megan, Sam, thanks so much for being here tonight. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I guess, um, where to begin? I guess, you know, we sort of, so Megan, you and I are now old friends. I like to think so. You know, two-time veteran of the show now. I think you're you're in very rare company. I think Sam Rosen was on twice. Do you know Sam from yeah, Make Space? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, I think Sam's still talking from the show. I mean, I love Sam. I love <laughs> Sam, but he got more words into the first 10 minutes of an episode than anyone. There was, you know, two episodes was a lot. Let's call that uh, the Sam Rosen challenge yeah. moving forward. Okay, yeah, exactly. And then who else has been here twice? One or two people here twice. Anyway, I love you, Sam. Um, but nice to have you back, Megan. And nice to nice to meet you, Sam. other Sam. Yeah, yeah. And, um, nice to meet you as well. 
So why do we? Well, I mean, why don't we catch up quickly on Human Ventures because you're still part of that community? Absolutely. And at the time when you were here, you were here with Heather, your your partner, and uh, and you guys had sort of just launched. And you know, now I looked at the site. I think at the time you had two companies, and now you have six. So clearly there's been a lot of progress. Yeah, and they have seven, uh, seven. underway any day now. Um, but so Human Ventures, you know, as you know, is a startup studio here in New York. And the model was to co-found great companies with entrepreneurs and provide the environment for them to really uh, speed up those early days and how they could launch um, without having to duplicate some of the mistakes that entrepreneurs historically have made in the past. So it's a really good, great, solid community trying to build New York City tech and trying to help entrepreneurs um, focus on what's important. Um, so I was one of the first team members they ever hired worked there with Heather Hartnett. And obviously the model is to build great companies with individuals who had ideas. And the model ended up working on me, essentially. <laughs> like I, I you know, it's very meta, but uh, we ended up creating this studio so we co-found. And then I had an idea, something that I had been passionate about for a really long time. And I'm sure we'll get into that in a minute as to why. Um, but then it just became the perfect environment for me to run with this personal idea that I had and for me to team up with Sam and leverage Human Ventures and their resources to um, you know, build Clark at record time. Right, okay, right. Well, that's okay. She's touched on a ton of stuff I want to talk about. Um, but I gotta ask you this, you know, it's like it's like a Meryl Streep week here, you know, she's she's Love like you, in Meryl. the media everywhere. So, you know, my favorite Meryl Streep movie, Sophie's Choice. You know, probably not the best place to make Sophie's Choice jokes, but mm-hmm. if you had to choose one of the Human Ventures, um, you know, portfolio companies, for those who haven't seen Sophie's Choice, this is a this is really lost on you and probably an <laughs> awful joke. But uh, uh, if you had to choose one, and you know, you can't choose all of them, which one would be the one you're like, wow, this one is just awesome and it's going to make it? At first, I was really nervous because I thought you were going to ask me what my favorite Meryl Street movie was. I'm well, like, not can, prepared. You can answer that too. Uh, my favorite company is Clark, the one that I co-founded okay, with Sam. Okay, and that, that one was, is going to okay. definitely okay. win. You, t- okay. you teed that one this up. Is, we're, we're, we're old friends, so I can call you on that. Other than Clark, come on. <laughs> There's another company that uh, Human co-founded very recently, Token, <laughs> um, which is in their beta stage right now, but has some really stellar investors um, that came into their seed round and they do gift giving and it, it's absolutely phenomenal token.ai i highly recommend you check them out okay there we go oh, sam cool. what about you you're, you're going token too you can't go token you can't go clark no you're, oh, you're geez. left with what five four five four. uh okay let's uh let's go with um let's go with uh tycoon which is tycoon. a really great app for um uh, for tracking expenses for freelancers okay uh i think it's tycoonapp.com uh they're a uh you know I guess furthest along, like in in the studio space yeah, that we're I think, in. I think they are. And so the cool thing is that we all work out of the Human Ventures studio. Right. So yeah. our team, Clark, uh, we have one giant pod with our team, but it's great because we're not a massive team by any means. I believe that right. we have six of us full time, um, but there's about 35 people that work in the studio. So it adds a lot in terms of energy. That's what Human always wanted is how can people co-collaborate across companies? Um, and it, it's wonderful because there's been a lot of things that we've been able to learn from you know our teammates next door and things like that. Right, okay, awesome. So, okay, last we went like deep into your past in the last show. Let's give Sam a chance to give himself the intro. How did you find your way to Human Ventures and Clark? Oh boy, where do we start? <laughs> as far back as you like. We got uh, you know forty minutes here. You can just we can do one. We'll do it, uh, Sam Rosen. We'll you'll, you'll, you'll perfect one question, and then I'll, we'll come back next week. Perfect. Okay, sounds great. Uh, well, let's. I mean, let's let's start with like the beginning of the the tech bug that I caught 
Yeah. Um, which is way too far back, actually. That was like when I was 11 and building my first computer. So uh, I moved to New York in uh, 2011 and um, actually 2010. And uh, I was working at a publishing company. Uh, I don't know why that's what I thought I wanted to do. It was already dying as an industry back then. Sorry, CBS. <laughs> uh, just kidding, though. Um, so, you know, my first tech job was as a QA engineer uh, for a, a, a little app company called Hashable. Uh, which has been Deadpooled since then. Uh, and I have always been obsessed with like really good user experience um, and making sure that you know you're actually building something that somebody's going to want to use. Uh, so I got really, really, really annoying to the product team. Um, and within about six months, I was in their meetings. Uh, I was helping you know design. Uh, you know, new features and that kind of stuff. Uh, and, you know, that was sort of my first taste of the product world, uh, which took me from Hashable to this company called Drama Fever. Uh, so I was a product manager there, built out their um, mobile ecosystem and uh, over-the-top uh, TV stuff. It's a... Drama Fever is a, a, an, a service for um, streaming international content into the United States. Uh, they got bought by Warner Brothers last year. Uh, super... Super exciting for them. Um, there for about two years, uh, and then began like this this really insatiable desire to do things my own way. Um, it's that sort of you know chip on your shoulder type thing where I was like, no, 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 uh, I think I can do this better, uh, and that kept me up nights. And suddenly those nights uh, were being used productively to you know do all these side projects and. Uh, learning to develop uh, Objective-C and build my own mobile apps and uh, I learned Ruby that same year. Uh, so I, you know, did this tech thing, uh, which I really didn't see coming. Uh, ended up at uh, DigitalOcean as their first product hire uh, and left after about eight months when I realized that, like, you know, this still wasn't doing my own thing. It was pretty cool to be there uh, working on cloud infrastructure and that kind of stuff, but uh, wasn't wasn't what I was looking for. Uh, I decided somewhere along the way that, like, you know, having a set of ethics was important. Uh, you know, controversial. You previously had no ethics, but exactly at some point. Uh, about halfway through the year in 2015, compass, right? I decided I was going to be an ethical person. <laughs> uh, well, I decided to uh, take sort of like a, you know, center stage for my work life, for my professional life. Sure. Um, and. I joined this fellowship through the Robin Hood Foundation here in New York City, uh, and you know, for those don't, who don't know, they they dispense something like 150 million dollars a year uh, to different charities uh, and nonprofits in the city, and they stay in the city to make as much of an impact as possible. Uh, so one of their like high risk, high reward little portfolio items is this uh, this fellowship to get uh, you know sort of mid career tech people working on pro problems that actually affect people who aren't you know, interested in getting their laundry picked up and delivered or, um, you know, who don't need help ordering the most unique, uh, you know, Chinese food from Flushing to their place in like, you know, Williamsburg or whatever it is. You mean right. not everyone needs curated dog treats? Not everyone, <laughs> turns out. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we have this habit in the tech industry of building the same, uh, building for the same people right. uh, all the time. Right. Uh, and that's served us pretty well in terms of like, you know, making really good returns for VCs and uh, making uh, like this, this huge booming ecosystem for tech people but wouldn't it be awesome if we did some stuff uh, for people who were sort of underserved in a in a tech technical sense uh, build products for people who just haven't had products built for them got really obsessed with 
this trend towards uh, 1099, you know, uh, gig economy worker uh, movements that have been occurring uh, globally. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've, as an industry, as a tech industry, we've been really driving the demand side of that. Two, two-sided marketplaces are really two-side in, uh, in name only. They're really built for the consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, we provide just enough infrastructure for the provider, uh, you know, like for an Uber driver, for instance, in order to, in order to do their job, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's not for them, uh, although that is how we market it to them. So I got really obsessed with, you know, building uh, tools for 1099 workers that would actually allow them to uh, do their job sustainably, uh, make a living doing that. Um, and I was playing with artificial intelligence at the time to, you know, automate the stuff that sucks about uh, being your own boss. Okay. Uh, like the paperwork we were talking about a little bit earlier. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's stuff like, um, you know, payments, scheduling, uh, communication with your clients, keeping them organized, that kind of stuff. But it's not really CRM. It's like this kind of an assistant, you know? And okay. You see where I'm going with that? It's yeah. like, uh, oh, maybe, maybe it would be cool if we could provide, you know, administrative assistance for uh, people. Uh, what kind of people? Well, there's really a whole lot of these people who, like, you know, provide a pretty amazing service for uh, our children, their educators. Uh, huh. Who's doing that? Well, I'm going to go talk to my friends and find somebody, you know, who might want to do something like that with me. And uh, pretty quickly thereafter, I met Megan. uh, And I think it was like within 20 minutes of our first conversation, uh, in your words, you'd ask me to marry you. Uh, But that was in a professional sense. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) We decided to, within the first couple minutes of meeting one another, like, we should merge these two things that we're working on and they should be the same project. Yeah. So what brought you guys together? Was it just just happenstance? Uh, It really was. Yeah. We met through a mutual friend who has also worked um, in the product space. And I was working on the early stages of Clark um, and doing it very manually and looking for a co-founder because I knew that I wanted this to be built, but I definitely needed a tech uh, co-founder to do so. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, a friend of ours that introduced us. He's like, you got to hear what Sam's working on right now. I think that this tech works perfectly for the market that you're interested in. And I had this tech and I had no market. I was like, I, you know, this looks important. <laughs> who wants to use it? And it turns out that's not how marketing works. Uh, and it's, it's not how you build a business either. Uh, so, you know, uh, from the product and, uh, you know, de-risking side of things, I have, you know, six years of, of background. And on the building a business side, Megan has just like a, a huge wealth of experience. And So you guys are like two pieces of a puzzle and it did, it does sound like a pretty good marriage. Um, yeah. So did, I mean, so is that, is that where your stint as an entrepreneur in residence came in? Did you sort of come in to like test the idea a little bit and, and see if your intuitions were correct? Is that, is that what the role, what your role at Human Ventures was being an entrepreneur in residence? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the EIR role was definitely like sort of a trial marriage, you know, if you will. Right. Uh, dating, actually, I think is a better. These are great analogies. <laughs> I like I like the idea of a trial marriage. We should that should be our next company. But um, anyway, yeah. So it was really just you know figuring out if uh, you know we could walk the walk uh, right. together. And, um, and you know, I think that that's super unique because so many co-founders are friends from a past company. They yeah. both were, you know, sitting in the same pod somewhere. And we were a little different where we're like, we were both very goal oriented about what we wanted to do. And we just happened to have the exact opposite set of skills. Like Sam and I, as you just said, are very much like the yin and yang. And we both fill the gaps that the other person has. Right. Um, so like that made our company in those early days, I think, gel so much better because it was like us perpetually figuring 
figuring out what can we each bring to the table and then how can we leverage that into like a really cohesive roadmap for a seed stage company. So I mean, what, what did you guys see that, that made you want to have a like you know a, a, a solution for tutors like you know what like how was this market speaking to you we would love to talk to you about that <laughs> <laughs> so i know that you've dabbled in the tutoring space and you know it very well yeah, also I mean, we're, we're my, my one of you know my main businesses is is, is 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 tutoring in the non-traditional like mm-hmm. sit down one-to-one and teach a subject but mm-hmm. we you know we have a very similar model where we're helping people get into graduate schools. So I, I know the space pretty well. Yeah. So my experience with tutoring is unbelievably personal. You know, before I worked at Human Ventures, I did work in education, primarily in international education. So I always had a bleeding heart for it. I'd always worked with the intersection of tech and education. But like, honestly, most importantly, my mom is a public school teacher. I was raised by a single mom who taught public school my whole life. She still does, too, that she's in class right now. Um, <laughs> But, you know, turns out she needs to tutor on the side to make ends meet. And that's the right. plight of most educators in the United States. Because guess what? We don't pay teachers like we do investment bankers for some strange reason. And so they all hold side jobs quite predominantly in the tutoring space. I don't think I ever thought of this. My, my mother was a was a cooking teacher and she taught adult cooking at night. I never, I never thought that. Maybe you know, it was during a couple. I just thought she loved cooking, but I, you know. Exactly, it's called. I mean, <laughs> teachers have side hustle, and it's just not celebrated. Yeah, right. Um, but quite honestly, they're entrepreneurs in a way that we, you know, we glorify what it is, what we do. They just do it, and they have been for years. Right. Um, so my mom was a tutor. I was trying to help her with some of the side aspects of her business. I mean, to be quite honest, she built her own website and then sent it to me. And I was like, oh, God, please, no. And then I was like, maybe I should get involved here. Maybe I should help. And then that really was a slippery slope into me just becoming obsessed with figuring out what are the tech solutions that are currently available to people who are just like my mom, who are part-time tutors or perhaps were retired teachers who then became tutors or people who were just great educators that chose the tutoring space instead of the classroom uh, in order to be an educator. And so I tested out a million different types of solutions and how do you effectively run the business side? And I really want to like stress that we're narrow focused on How do you scale and build a business if you're an educator? Because I'm not a teacher and Sam's not a teacher. We're not here to tell you how to better teach Common Core or how to, you know, what are the things that you need to do to have the highest level of cognitive learning. What we're here to say is, hey, there's a million really good people out there that do know the answers to those questions, but they're also scrambling to run businesses. And the admin of doing so is prohibiting them from providing more educational hours. Um, So the first phase of Clark was one, me trying to help my mom. But then two, I called up a bunch of tutors in New York City and said, do you have an assistant? And they all responded, are you crazy lady? Like, of course I don't have an assistant. Right. I was like, great, I'm going to be your personal assistant for free because I have aspirations of building a bot someday that's going to replicate whatever it is we do here. But for the first couple of months of Clark, it was literally Sam and I serving as personal assistants to a bunch of educators. Oh, wow. um, was, your, was your mom client the first client? She still is. She's yeah, still, she's still she is. <laughs> <laughs> she's great. So you, so you get texts from Megan's mom saying like, hey, I need help with this sometimes? Nova customer service does. <laughs> yeah, you, now, you now have customer service. <laughs> yes. Like we, have to, we have to scale this thing quickly. That way my mother stops calling me at work. Is that, is that it? <laughs> That's okay. actually really true. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good motivator. Not the only motivator, but it's a good one. <laughs> uh, okay, so so clearly, so so you're doing, I mean, that's great because you're like, you're involved with the user mm-hmm. and, and learning what the user needs so that yep. you can tailor the solution. So what do you learn? I mean, what do, what do you learn from talking to these people and serving as their assistants over a couple months? Oh man, so much. Um, there's, there's like, there's so much pain. Uh, <laughs> That's an interesting way to start that, but there really is just like a lot of user pain uh, that that these educators are feeling. 
Um, first and foremost, the you know the the um, the stigma that comes with tutoring is very real. Uh, so here's you know individualized learning, which is widely regarded as just like the best way to receive knowledge. Um, I mean, this just keeps getting reinforced. Uh, and we have class sizes in the United States getting larger and teacher churn increasing because teacher satisfaction is going down. Uh, and the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, you know, educators are not uh, being provided with the opportunities that they really need in order to make ends meet. Uh, not to mention that, like, you know, uh, wages are pretty stagnant uh, in the public school system. So, you know, we're, we're watching these tutors come in and say, like, I just need to get paid on time. Um, seems seems reasonable. Uh, you know, they they get paid on net 30 a lot of the time uh, when they're working mm. independently. And uh, when that happens, you know, it can be, you know, you would assume it would be actually 30 days before they got paid, but it can, it's usually a lot longer than that. Uh, especially in New York, there's a, there's a tendency for parents to, to treat tutors uh, as sort of uh, employees or hired mm-hmm. help in a way. So it's sort of like by, you know, virtue of me hiring you, you're getting paid uh, and you will get paid when I say you get paid. So that was like one of the early things that we realized, oh, we can do that. That's not hard. Uh, it's just really uncomfortable. Yeah, 75% of our early users were historically being paid late for their services. And that's really? not too dissimilar from other freelance industries. But what we were finding is that they were having such a hard time navigating the next steps of that. So, you know, how to have that conversation with their clients, how to manage um, remitting late payments. And so that was an easy technical solution. I mean, that's a solved problem mm-hmm. that we could apply to this segment, um, segment of workers. But more importantly, we could do it in a way that still upheld their client relationship with the families they work with. That's so interesting to me. I mean, I, I designed my model so that we would just get paid up front and never have to chase because it just, I just didn't want to spend my time yeah. out there yeah. with dealing with receivables. I, mean, I designed the whole company around that. I never, I never really thought about it until well, and hearing about this, pro- this problem. That I'm, makes gl- I'm glad t- I did it that way. And we're, we're glad you did too. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a ton of sense. And the thing is, you know, tutoring, especially when you're talking about like K through 12 and the majority of which it happens like around that eighth and ninth grade level, like there's just a high degree of variance about when the tutor and that kid are meeting. That leads us into our next friction point that we solve for, which is scheduling and rescheduling. But the idea is, you know, when things change a lot, it can often be difficult for the admin to follow those changes. Right. And so by doing things like automation and automation around when sessions happen, both in the scheduling, the payment and the notification uh, components, we can really make sure that it's no longer a headache for the educator. It's just something that automatically happens. So one thing I thought was interesting about your services is that you you got this sort of this like you will get paid for no shows type of well, I mean not type it is it is part of your service. Mm-hmm. How does that work? I mean are you are you just are you I mean are you the heavy for your client or or or, or is the is the client or are you the heavy for your tutor or is the tutor's client effectively your client from the start and you can you manage bill. You know what I'm asking. Yeah. I'm just yeah, get sure, it out of sure, way. Sure. No, tutors are 100% our client, and we are their heavy. I like that <laughs> I like that saying a lot. So we're essentially their administrative backbone. So how can you maintain professionalism and also deepen a relationship with a client is, I think, a problem that lots of tutors feel, and it was certainly the ones that we uh, were working with in the early days that we're feeling all the time. So the idea is that, hey, these are the policies of Clark, and then it ends up 
serving itself because Clark has those difficult conversations, not the tutor. Right. And what's interesting is, yeah, we have the policy of, you know, if you're a no show, you still have to pay 100 percent in full. Or if you violate the cancellation policy, <coughs> you have to pay 50 percent. We didn't make those up. We took those from the agreements of mm-hmm. all the tutors that they make with their families. Just they just them. had never enforced right. them. They right. never could. They they even went as far as getting parents to sign these agreements, like right. contracts that they'd printed out, and then not enforce them. Right, mm-hmm. it's a uh, tough conversation. Yeah. It's really hard. I mean, I don't. I hate having those conversations with parents, you know, on the tutor's behalf. But like, you know, it's it's probably the most important thing that we do uh, because honestly, the first time that it happens, uh, when there's some sort of, uh, you know, I don't want to say punitive uh, effect, but like some sort of. Uh, uh, you know, just blanking on that word. Uh, <laughs> when 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 parents have to pay for cancellations, yeah. uh, they only happen once. Yeah, um, that's that's the simplest way of thinking about it. Uh, they don't want that negative incentive, sort of like uh, you know, uh, over their heads all the time. Right. So they just get their act together because it's not. It turns out it's not difficult. What's difficult is bringing like a checkbook uh, or sending a check with your kid or something like that. And remembering that every single time, that's an action that has to be taken. We're, we're automating that again with, you know, you know, this thing called credit cards, uh, which is just like, you know, sort of one of these no brainer things. But, uh, again, uh, unless you're using a square reader or something like that, uh, it's really quite difficult for mm-hmm. an individual educator to, to manage that kind of system. And, and honestly, the square reader is the wrong metaphor, uh, sitting there. Uh, I once had a doctor who I was seeing for physical therapy and, um, he would swipe my card before each session. I was like, well, that's kind of icky. Like, I get it. It has to happen. Mm -hmm. But uh, I know I'm paying you. But it's like kind of putting the service with the the administration all at once. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're just abstracting that right out of, you know, that learning session and saying, like, go learn. Take all the time that you need to, you know, educate the student. Uh, Student, this is all your time. Um, And uh, the payment happens in the background. So... Actually, before I get to that, quick question: You know, why don't you give our listeners because they're not we're not all New York based, even though we're in New York. Yeah, the breadth of the insanity of the New York tutoring market. <laughs> the New York City tutoring market is wow! Thank God we founded this company here, right? Um, I mean, so obviously Clark serves as a virtual assistant to tutors and any type of tutor. You can be a Spanish tutor, you can be an SAT prep, you can be preparing kids for the Common Core test, you can be helping them do their homework every night. The idea is that it's a platform that any type of tutor can serve. With that said, what you'll find in New York is that about 70% of tutoring happens in the high school age, and the predominant amount of that tutoring is preparing. Preparing for the SATs, preparing for the ACTs, preparing to apply to college, preparing for the AP exams, making sure you're getting extremely great grades. Um, But then there's a lot of rites of passage earlier in school here um, that happens more than any other market the middle school exam to decide whether or not you're going to private school or public school Mm. to even test into some of the magnet public schools. There's a test and it's not all the same tests. They each have their own test. So kids honestly are doing common core testing, which often they will receive tutoring from. They're doing some sort of entrance exam style tutoring. Uh, And then they're also just, you know, learning too. They're also getting tutoring for algebra because that's the actual class that they're in right now. So there's a significant amount of tutoring here. 
And at every price point from $10 an hour to $1,000 an hour. Yeah, there are some very, very fancy SAT tutors and admission coaches charging, like you said, 1000 And yeah. then there's a ton of people who are doing it for 55 100 bucks an hour. Right. Um, but the range is wide. And still to this day, when people say, you know, how did you meet the celebrity tutor? Or how did you meet so-and-so? It's all word of mouth. It's all mm-hmm. by like knowing a guy that knows a guy that gets your kid the best algebra tutor. Right. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. So, okay, you, you mentioned earlier about the timing and how things have moved along so quickly. So t- take, take me through the, the milestones and the timelines from, you know, falling in love with each other and meeting and uh, and determining you want to get married to today. What when when did that when did that process when did this this happenstance fortuitous meeting occur and what has gone on since? Yeah, so Clark really started like we said um, a year ago with this assistance, this like paper um, prototyping version of the product, <clears throat> and then from there it was around April that we started the first alpha version. So doing using SMS and web presence in order to manage different tutoring businesses. That happened well throughout the summer. Um, and then it just kept getting better and better along the way. The first product that we shipped was our backend manager because we obviously are managing the business of tons of different tutors. Um, so our Zendesk, but on steroids version of that um, was built by our engineering team first and foremost. And now we're in a stage where we have run unbelievable amount of sessions. Tons of cash have gone through the platform and the app is gonna launch to our existing users next month and then to the public in March. Okay. And the team has grown as well. I mean, it was just us sitting in chairs uh, in March of last year, or April of last year, I guess. Um, And now we're five to six, depending on the day. Uh, And we have like this network of people who just desperately, desperately want to work with us. Uh, And some of them are working with us on like a contract basis. But like that family is Mm -hmm. uh, like 20 strong, if not more. Mm -hmm. Uh, And honestly, like, you know, being in a position as like a founder of a company where you're turning people down and saying like, I know you really want to do this, but like it's the wrong fit right now. Uh, I never thought that was going to be the the issue. I thought right. it's going to be the other way, especially, you know, early stage, like please, 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 you know, come work. Uh, right. But it's, it's the exact opposite. So we're, we're a hot commodity right now. And uh, yeah, it, it all That's happened correct. all at once. That's fantastic. So Clark is in beta right now. I mean, for the neophyte like me, I'm not much of a tech guy. What happens in, what happens in beta? What are you testing? <laughs> so, all beta means is we can change stuff and you can't get mad. <laughs> uh, that's that's why Google leaves their stuff in beta for as long as they do. Uh, and, and that that's actually true. So it's effectively a disclaimer for clients. Yeah, it's yeah. like please please understand we're still building this. And the idea is that the mission of the company and the mission of each one of our product features will stay consistent now and forever. But the idea is the means by which we achieve those missions, it's going to change a little bit. And so we're just testing a, diff- a couple different things um, in product functionality and web presence, things like that. But the cool thing is if you're a beta customer, you basically just get a better product week on week. Like when you open up the app the next time, you're like, oh, oh, this looks even nicer than it did last week. I like that. So what do you what do, what do you add like what like what are what are the changes and how how have you guys decided what what functionality needs to be there and and sure. and 
you know, I mean, I'm assuming you've just got a laundry list of things you'd love to add. How do you prioritize? Yeah, so this is where, um, you know, having worked at a bunch of different product organizations really comes into play. And also, you know, uh, how I've sort of eschewed some of those methodologies and some of the ones in the industry uh, has been really important. Uh, so my, my previous background prior to, you know, even coming to New York was in uh, neuroscience. Uh, that's what my degree's in. Um, and I've always been interested in, you know, the hard science, sciences and experimental design. So everything we do is an experiment. Um, whether that's talking to somebody uh, with a, you know, a set of questions or whatever else, uh, it's always geared around like a specific um, null hypothesis or hy- hypothesis, you know, in the positive sense, uh, uh, trying to prove or disprove that like we should move down a path. Uh, so uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, very early on, when we were doing like this very concierge over SMS test uh, with you know scheduling people's uh, sessions for them, at some point we're like, well, we should start to drip in uh, you know this payments functionality. Well, how do we do that? Uh, well, let's just like take some checks from people and like you know send them out and like, well, no, that's not going to work. That's that's really silly. What if we use PayPal? Let's try that. You know, uh, and being able to prototype that really simply and say, okay, uh, parent pay us via PayPal and we'll pay the tutor out via PayPal. Uh, everybody cool with this? Does this work? Uh, it allowed us to say like, um, you know, this is valuable to the, to the tutor. Uh, and that shot to the top of the backlog. Um, so we built out a really robust, um, you know, uh, payment system very, very iteratively. Uh, so every single uh, decision along the way was informed by some experiment that we ran. Uh, and that's still the, the way it is today. And that's how we sort of expect our team to move forward in all aspects. Right. Uh, including like user acquisition and all that kind of stuff. So uh, f- a full disclaimer here again, like I'm not much tech guy. Tech guy I, guess again, I, I guess I'm in beta. Um, <laughs> Aren't we all? You know, uh, so I mean, how much of this stuff is like, is, is mm-hmm. you know, taking stuff off the shelf and putting it all together like I don't really understand that I mean can you can you take a payment system and attach it to a scheduling system and put a nice interface on it and that's your product or is it like no. I wish you were that is it, you know, <laughs> I mean, how does this all how does we could this have all saved work? five years yeah. or, you know however long we're going to be so, working on this so, 10 years 15 so what are you building from scratch and what do you yeah. is there uh, how does it all work I mean a lot of it is built from scratch because at the end of the day what Clark is is it's a virtual assistant that can answer any of your questions now your questions we know are going to fall into certain buckets about scheduling about payments about how your kid is progressing and then random other admin stuff that falls into it and the automatic functionalities are the things that sam and his team have custom built in payments but it was all informed by experiments he did with existing products um but at the end of the day it's something that we have built from scratch because there is such a unique relationship with the tw- uh, in the ways that families communicate with tutors and that tutors need to run their business um it didn't exist yet there wasn't software yet that build the friction points of a tutoring business correctly. Um, It was close in a lot of places, so we could learn from those things and kind of extrapolate lessons learned from those products, but it wasn't there for perfect product market fit yet. And actually, it... um 
the 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 landscape for for gig economy workers really mirrors the landscape for tech in general right now a lot of the pieces that you need to build a really good tech company are already built for you like 10 years ago you did not have amazon web services to like put your stuff on Mm -hmm. Uh, now we have that and we take it for granted as like being like the the base level of of technology that you can expect uh next year there will be more uh and that's just how that works uh for you know workers you have fresh books and quick books and like uh, PayPal and Square and all these kinds of things, but the edges don't fit together. Right. Um, and if they do fit together, they fit together on the terms of the company that built it. Um, and th- those are built for very specific use cases. So PayPal, for instance, uh, that first test um, from like intake of money to pushing it out took like 14 days or something like that. Totally unacceptable. Mm. <laughs> uh, and that's just how PayPal works. They don't move money. Uh, they don't withdraw money very quickly because that's not something that their you know their users really care about apparently. Right. Uh, so that was the goal. That's always the goal of like a really good product is to to just zero in on that use case. But if you can start with things that are off the shelf uh, to prototype and to understand how people will use a thing, uh, you can waste a lot less time. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. You know, zeroing in on what what that thing is later. Wait. I just knocked the mic. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. a fun noise. <laughs> <laughs> I we leave it in for character. Uh, so, so we talked a lot about like the back end here, but but, but you know, the, what about the the tutors themselves? I mean, is is there a is there a, a demographic? Is it just all tutors? I mean, is is, it, is there a demographic you're going after that you could narrow it in, or narrow it down a little? Yeah, I mean. Eventually, we're literally going to be able to work with anyone that's an independent educator. And so tutors is obviously what makes up the majority of educators that don't work inside a classroom. But homeschoolers, learning specialists, they all fit into that category as well. Um, You know, we're a little bit in our uber black car moment. A lot of startups are when they first start. Um, You know, who is a very high frequency user? Who's somebody that's tutoring 30 plus kids? A month, um, who really is feeling the pain points of the administrative task that beyond beyond just the pain of tutoring thirty kids, <laughs> beyond just that pain. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're you know an easy customer for us because they get it right away. They're like, oh yes, thank God, please help me with this. I've right. made a mess of it. Um, part-time tutors, people who have a day job as either a teacher or something else and then tutor on the side, they also get it and are a real easy convert to the functionality of the feature set. Um, But we believe in a world where every teacher in America should be a tutor. I mean, God knows they're not making enough money and they are, Mm -hmm. like my mom, all in need of side hustle. Um, And so that is going to be a persona that we'll move into in the future. And so... For now, we're working predominantly with people that have shown intent to tutor, but Clark is a very easy way for someone who's like, ah, I never really thought about tutoring before to like learn the ropes and enter the space and be really positive contributor to the market quickly. But is there is there like a specific I don't know, price point? Like if you could you could you look and say, like, yes, generally speaking right now, our clientele is Math tutors at about eighty bucks or something like that. I mean, unless you don't want to share that, of course. Yeah, oh, we can we can share that. Definitely general stuff there for sure. I, I our tutors tend to be very high volume uh, test prep people, test prep. Uh, independent test prep people. Uh, so mostly SAT and GRE, um, mm-hmm. and these folks are incredibly methodical. Uh, they have some of them. One guy in particular, you know who you are if you're listening to this, uh, uh, has this incredible model for it's it's like an actual machine learning model for understanding SAT uh, improvement abilities. Wow! I mean, he's he's you know he's a superhero. So, he he really is, uh, and wow. we're That's so awesome. lucky to have him around. Uh, and 
you know, so he's he's obviously an outlier uh, in his abilities, uh, but he's not an outlier in the amount of volume that he does, and he's not an outlier in terms of the uh, the money that he charges. So, you know, the what we've figured out, which is pretty interesting, is that like the natural national uh, tutoring like hourly rates around fifty bucks. Uh, sort of across all disciplines. And in New York, it's about double that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're working with people who are north of the average in New York, for the most part, uh, because that allows us to see, you know, again, that black car world. Right. Uh, and once we get that kind of kind of nailed, it's it's easier to move down, uh, down market, if you will. How, you know, how, w- w- to the extent you can share, you know, what are the parameters set out by the studio? Like how, what are the expectations for... You know, I don't know. I, I imagine that every, every venture is a little different, but yeah. Um, yeah. you know, how scrappy do you have to be to make this thing work? I mean, we're actually both very lucky that we've had nonprofit backgrounds in some capacity, <laughs> so we happen to be extraordinarily scrappy. I was on the phone with an investor last night, and he's like, "What's your monthly burn?" And I shared it with him. He's like, "Are you sure?" I was like, "No, I did the math right on that." Right. Um, so we are super scrappy. Not saying that we had to be, but I will say that that. It's why we know that we do have product market fit. Um, but, you know, our the expectation with the studio is obviously to build a really big, important business. Um, and for us, on top of that, we're also going to save the world while we're doing it. But you get to stay <laughs> at the studio between, you know, your inception moment and before you raise your Series A. And that's simply because that's when you have your big kind of human capital inflection moment. You go from having one or two engineers to having an engineering department. Mm-hmm. You go from having the one person that wears every marketing hat to somebody that is a practitioner of each marketing discipline. And I think a lot of companies will say they've worked out of investor's office, they've worked out of a co-working space until around Series A, when they're like, oh, we need to have our own space. Not just because there's so many people, but that's also a really important moment for you to start to build your company culture. And company culture starts to get built in a more profound way when you have your own space to build it in. Yeah, and to add on to that, I think that the, the really like the superpower of human ventures um, is providing this thing that you really lack and that I really lacked for sort of this nine month period where I was sort of on my own uh, in like this very dark corner of an office in Brooklyn, which I, I love, but it was very dark. <laughs> uh, it's external validation. Uh, so they provide this, this source of feedback that you do not get as an early uh, startup founder. Uh, and so the the incentive usually as an early founder is like to just move as quickly as possible to reach some point where somebody's going to tell you like, you know, by buying a thing or by giving you money or, you know, joining your team or whatever, uh, this is worth doing or, you know, whatever else. The studio provides that in like sort of uh, quantized, very uh frequent updates uh, so you can see how you're tracking and the result is that you make mistakes faster but you make them at a lower you know uh, severity level mm-hmm. yeah. so you're constantly changing what you're doing uh, and it allows for that scaling that you know they're fostering and that they're nurturing so we're, we're a year in I want you guys to look in the crystal ball a year out where, where are we gonna be a year from now <laughs> A year out, we will be in more markets than just New York City, which is really exciting. Um, and we'll obviously be post-product, so our app that works for tutors and then our web app and web presence that is a support system to parents will all be fully functional and out in the field. Um, and we'll move on beyond just the existing tutoring marketplace. We'll move into building the market of tutors uh, to be a larger pie. Um, and so people often ask us, you know, what's exciting to you about tutoring? And it, for us, it's the fact that a lot more people could do it than are right now. And there's definitely a demand for more tutors. And so we're ready to create the supply. 
Okay, last question. Clark. Yeah. Why not, you know, Daryl or Steve or Jeremy? <laughs> why not Jeremy? Why isn't this thing why isn't this called Jeremy? <laughs> Jeremy is a really That's good name. That's the last question. I, it's not even why Clark. It could why have not been Jeremy? <laughs> <laughs> why not Jeremy? Why, um, why Clark? So, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of bots end up with names. And I hate using the word bot, but virtual assistants, if you will. And some of them end up being female when they happen to provide, like, secretary-like support. And so it was definitely going to be a man's name. Mm -hmm. You knew that for sure. Definitely. And something that, um, you know, really resonated for me when thinking about, like, administrative work and trying to think about the name of a person that would embody that, you know, tutors are pretty much superheroes on the inside and Clark Kent was a nerd on the outside but this amazing superhero on the inside and that's how Sam and I feel about tutors like they have this superpower to really change kids lives in a way that they haven't been recognized for previously we just need to give them the cape like they just need the services to get there well, I guess this means I got to think. I got to develop a superhero named Jeremy if I want a company named after me. <laughs> We're <laughs> happy as to help far with as that. I know, there's no, there isn't one out there. Um, awesome guys. Well, thanks so much for being here um, and thanks sharing the story us. of Clark. And it's a lot of fun. And clearly, you guys are super passionate about us. And we'll keep our eye on it. And you guys will can, we'll bring you back in a year to, uh, to, to to see if you met those benchmarks. Awesome. You're thanks accountable to you. us now, not just to the, to the, to the uh, investor. <laughs> to superhero Jeremy. Yeah, exactly. Thanks so much, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.